0: Thank you guys for coming out. And um, thank you everybody so much for your attention throughout this series and the conversations and and all that that's been happening. It's just been so encouraging to me. And I hope my, our only goal in this was that this would be useful um, to start conversations and, and, and for you guys to start thinking through these issues together. Um, before I get into what I want to talk about tonight, I want one qualification. Um, I really don't know who the Lord is going to bring out every week, so I get here and I kind of see the demographic before I get here and kind of start changing application stuff. And and it looks like we have um, an older crowd, a lot of parents and and perhaps grandparents here tonight, which is a great thing, and probably wanting help parenting through this, which is exactly why we're here. Um, The one qualification I would give is that I am not going to take time in this to explain to you, um, like, what is Facebook and what is Twitter and stuff like that. And if you are expecting for me to make that clear to you, you're going to leave unsatisfied. I'm sorry. Um, I I will, if you'd like to, afterwards, you can come up and talk to me and say, can you just tell me what they're doing? I don't get it. I can do that. But I just, I I got too much to say about the implications of it and and how to parent through it that, that I don't want to take time to explain it. So if there's a lot of confusion there and you would like clarity, I can help you with that, just not here. Okay, um, we, have, we have spent these weeks together with a serious evaluation of our now technological society, um, specifically the influence of the internet in our lives. Um, the, the two issues, the two main issues that we've addressed thus far are the influence of the internet on our sexuality, um, looking at internet pornography, things like that, and the inter- influence of the internet on our learning. Um, Which was two weeks ago, which is when everybody's houses were flooded. So we didn't have many people here. So if you want to go back and listen to it, you can go back and listen to it on the internet, like John said. Um, Tonight we come to what surprisingly may be the most dangerous consequence of our time. And as I've gotten into this study, I'm really starting to think that and believe that. As we see a culture um, playing around their days and counterfeit online community. We are witnessing before our eyes the death of relationships and of community. And this is an exceedingly costly death. Um, before we get to the consequences, let me let me briefly set the scene. This this may be obvious to some of you who are in this world, but some who are ignorant of the relational climate of our culture. Um, let me kind of explain where we are as a society. Um, technology affords us wonderful advances relationally. So um, things that were impossible throughout all of history now are just assumed realities, instantly speaking to other people on, on the other side of the globe, um, quickly, easily communicating through an efficient way, through texting, stuff like that, sharing photos and videos and moments from our lives through our cell phones. Um, The internet advances like video conferencing and social networking sites like Facebook and MySpace and Twitter, Um, online chat forums where you go into a room, so to speak, and communicate, um, uniting around things like favorite sports teams and TV shows and hobbies, even religion. Um, you can um, you, you can relate to a total stranger as they let them let them into let you into their lives through this phenomenon of blogging, where you just kind of share parts of your life for everybody to see and to know. And then you can go as far as actually entering into a new virtual world through an avatar in Second Life communities, where there are actual worlds with, within the internet that you create a person who lives in there and you control it and you live life through that avatar Um, now none of this is intrinsically evil we've talked about that the value is found instrumentally so, in other words, they can be used to realize good, but oftentimes all of this is being used to realize destruction in our lives. Let me illustrate how this, how this works. Maybe that'll help you. Um, Abby's parents live in Texas. A lot of you know that. Um, now, before technological advances, a distance like that um, would severely limit their involvement in our son, their grandson's life. Specifically, what we have done to overcome that is, is use Skype, which a lot of you are familiar with, which is this video conferencing thing on the internet that you can use. Um, So the wonderful advances now let them be a consistent part of his life. So since he was born, we would on a fairly consistent basis call them on on their computer, on our computer, and and there's Gigi, that's what he calls his grandmother, Gigi, um, talking to Holt on the computer screen. He can see her, she can see him, and so it is almost like Gigi is there in the room hanging out with her grandson. That's wonderful, and a lot of you guys probably use things like that. Amazing opportunity now available to us. But the question, I guess, we're going to get into tonight is, is anything lost as we do relationships like that? Um, Well, here's what we started to notice. Every time I'm on my laptop working, writing, whatever, Holt would come up to me with these, you know, sad, pitiful, inquisitive eyes. Gigi? Gigi? So no, Holt, Gigi's not here. Daddy's working, you know. A couple times I'd pass by my study, and he's in there at my desk, opening the laptop, looking at this blank screen, just sadly saying, GG, GG. And Abby and I started realizing our son thinks his grandmother lives in a MacBook. (laughs) That's really messed up. And there's consequences. We do these things, we utilize these things, and that's great, but we don't ever think, well, what's being lost? What what are we hurting here? So I think you see the dilemma we now face. As our society continues to make use of technology when it comes to relationships, the benefits are obvious. We all see those, we all use those, but what is being lost? What are the consequences to a culture, and specifically um, to our youth, um, practicing relationships and community almost exclusively through the medium of technology. There are a lot of consequences, more than I could say tonight. But for the sake of our time, I've reduced my observations down to five consequences that I want to to talk about, and I'll I'll go through them, I'll I'll list them, and then we'll we'll get into each of them. Um, Here's what I'm seeing. Relationships now are effortless, limitless, narcissistic, voyeuristic, and therefore non-existent. I'll say it again. They are effortless, limitless, narcissistic, voyeuristic, and therefore non-existent. All right, let's go through each of those. Um, Relationships are now effortless. Here's what has happened. Humans will always have, you know this, humans will always long for relationships. It's just who we are. It's just what we do. We are created, you know, in the image of God. God is a relational being. And since He is a relational being, we, we have that saying, design. So we long for relationships and we desperately, desperately need them. But because of the fall that has affected us all, we are so selfish. And what that means is we don't want to do the, the hard things, the difficult efforts that are required for relationships. And that's been our dilemma. We long for relationships, but we don't want to do all the stuff that it requires. Well, technology, specifically the internet, has solved our dilemma. Through, the med- through this medium, we can, we can now get our relationship fixed without the built-in demands of relationships. Let me, let me, let me get more practical. Um, Relationships used to be uncomfortable, didn't they? Do you remember that? Um, When you were growing up, what option did you have but to endure the awkwardness and the shyness and the insecurities and the intimidation and all of those things that we all had to endure in order to learn how to relate to others and how to have friends? You used to have to get over yourself. You had to get over yourself in order to have relationships. So you would learn to introduce yourself communicate well, look into someone's eyes, go over to another person's house and ring the doorbell and ask if so-and-so could come out and play, talk to parents. All of these things we used to just have to do is assumed. Now with technology, none of that is required. It has all been bypassed. You can just hide behind your cell phone or your Facebook page or whatever. I remember very clearly when I was in junior high school um, and I had, I had a crush on this girl. And back then, if I wanted any type of communication with this girl, there really was one option I had to call her house, which was terrifying for a junior high boy. So I had vivid memories. This is before caller ID and all that stuff. Y'all remember this. I had vivid memories of sitting there with the telephone and, and dialing this girl's number and hearing her ring, hang up. You know? And then dialing the number and hearing her ring, hang up. And then I dial the number and let somebody answer, and then I hang up. And I just, this torturous, like, oh my gosh, junior high boy, awkward, all that stuff, wanting to talk to this girl, and finally getting over myself and, you know, the process. Hello, hello, Mr. So-and-so, um, I'd like to talk to your daughter or whatever, and who's this? Well, Robert Cunningham, I'm in her class, and, you know, whatever. And it's just all so scary and awkward and all that stuff, and they say, okay. And then he'd let me talk to her for five minutes, and okay, that's enough, you're done, and then hang up, and that was, you know, you remember those days. And, and that's so scary and intimidating and all those things, but it's so good. It's so good for a young boy to learn. Now it's all just bypassed. It's just, I want to talk to her, I'll text her. Parents don't have to be involved. I don't have to talk to her. I'll just text her, or I'll just chat, Facebook chat with her. We're getting around all of these different things. At youth group on Wednesday nights, I will have students text each other when they are in the same room. Not when I'm talking. They do that too. But I'm talking like when they're hanging out, they're across the room, rather than to go over and get over the awkwardness of, hello, how are you? It's texting each other in the same room. Relationships used to be uncomfortable. We're bypassing all of that. What about this one? Relationships used to be hard work, didn't they? Um, It's hard work to get to know someone. It's hard work. You had to earn their trust. You have to invest in their lives. You used to have to put time and effort into these things. Talk to them. Get to know them. What do you like to do? What are your hobbies? What's your favorite book, TV show, sports? What do you like to do in your free time? All those different things. It used to be hard work. You had to earn their trust. Prove to them by keeping your word over and over again. Not telling their secrets. Being nice to them. All of these efforts in order to be let in to their life in an intimate way. Now... It's, I would like to be friends with that person. So I will search their name on Facebook. There they are. Click, friend request. Click, confirmed. We are friends now. And then neatly organized is their life on their Facebook page. Oh, I'm in. I get them now. That's who they are. This is what they like. This is what they like to do. That's what they look. All those things It's just neatly organized right there for you. It's so easy. There's no effort Required. Relationships used to require adherence to certain community boundaries that you all know so well. Relationships used to have common courtesies, social boundaries. You couldn't just say whatever you wanted to say or do whatever you wanted to do. There There were boundaries, there were courtesies. You had to practice manners. You had to learn to treat people with respect. You couldn't just say whatever. Well, perhaps you could but it was met with common community consequences, right? So, in other words, I may be a jerk, but there is only so much I can say to someone's face without shame and embarrassment and rejection from the community. Now those boundaries are gone. The venom that is sometimes exchanged, things that are said, the anger, the hatred, the language, things you would never say in the presence of another human being. Never would you say those things in the presence of a human being. In fact, technology has made things, the internet and social network has made things like gossip and slander and being a person noncommittal. Those things are so routine that everyone is getting away with such things without any consequences in their life. It has just become the climate in which we now relate. And then when we're in the presence of a real person, they don't know how to adhere to common courtesies, demands of a real community, because there are no demands in their online community. I could go on and on with examples, but I think, I think you see my point. What I'm trying to say here is the first consequence we see is that the natural demands of relationships and community have been taken away, and, and relationships now are effortless. Here's the second consequence I see. Um, relationships now are limitless. Um, Two weeks ago, we looked at the same problem when we were talking about information and learning. How we have a breadth of information, but no real deep knowledge. Well, the same thing can be said um, this week in regards to relationships. It is not uncommon for people to have thousands of friends, if you want to call it that, friends on Facebook. And if you get their cell phone out and go through, or your cell phone out and go through... Uh, the contacts, it would take forever to scroll through all of those names. What does this reveal? Well, this is what it reveals. Access to us now has no limits. We are spread so thin relationally. Um, I want you to think back how you did relationships, how it all worked. When you think about it, at any given stage of your life, um, there were really not that many people who had access to you and your life and your friendship. I was thinking back to my high school days, and um, I could count on two hands the people who had real access to me. Now, I mean, and I wasn't, I wasn't like the coolest guy in school, but I was certainly like a guy who had friends, you know. And I could, you know, when I started thinking back, how many friends did I have in high school? I can count them on two hands. Now, I had a lot of acquaintances, a lot of people I knew. I knew a lot of people's names in school. But only a handful of people had access into my life. I would hang out with. I would call on the phone. I would have over. I would go over to their house. And then as we would move on to different stages of life, some friends would fall away, and then new friendships would be made. There was this natural progression of some relationships slipping away and then, in order that others may thrive. Could you imagine if you had to hold on to, relationally, hold on to every relationship, every acquaintance that you have made since kindergarten? That is how they're doing relationships now. If you see somebody at the mall, they become your friend at Facebook. If you had a class with them in kindergarten, they are your friend on Facebook. And what this has done, you may say to me, well, what's the big deal? Isn't that a good thing to have all these friends and all this stuff? Well, maybe maybe we're not made for limitless relationships. Maybe it's too much. For those of you who are in the social media world, the social networking world, you've probably gotten a sense of this. You get so lost, don't you? You get so lost in pointless details of lives of people you barely know that you are neglecting those whom God has placed in your life and calling you to be involved and engaged in in a very real and intimate way. There are just so many people that our lives are forced to be reduced down to little intimacy snippets is what it is. Facebook status update, text, tweet, tweet. That's all we have time for. Because we're trying to maintain so many relationships. Don't you feel overwhelmed? Or don't you see your kids overwhelmed? Don't you see that? Constantly feeling that there's somebody you're letting down. Somebody you need to, to get back to. You need to return a call. You need to respond to this email. You need to text this person. You need to respond to this person on Facebook. All the while, relationships in your life that truly do need your attention and devotion are being neglected. The problem is that technology has made you available to everyone and everyone available to you. I saw this when I, I mentioned before, when I, was, when I was researching this topic, I mentioned that um, an Oregon State professor, Dr. Ken Funk, um, really helped me with some of these thoughts. He's an expert on this. Um, And and as we live in a beautiful day and age now where where I was able to have contact with him out there in Oregon State University. I Googled his information, which gave me his email address at the university, which I sent him an email. We did emailing back and forth. We even set up a time uh, to talk on the phone and talk through some of these issues. It's a great thing. We live in a wonderful age, right? Yes. But when I called him, he immediately pointed out the other side of this equation. I called the guy. And he thinks through all this technology stuff. And, and, and he said, you see, here's the problem with technology and the Internet. He said, I don't know you. <laughs> I don't know you. We're not connected in any way. But here I am giving up a big portion of my day to you, some random guy in Kentucky. Now, he was kidding, but he was also being serious. Fifty years ago, even 20 years ago, Dr. Funk would never have had to worry about me dreamed about me stepping into his life, some random guy in Kentucky requiring his time and energy and help. He would just go to work, undistracted work, spend his days investing in the lives of his family and his friends and his neighbors and so forth. But we live in a day where a guy from Kentucky has the ability to step into his life and require all of these things from him, which previously those things were devoted to his calling and his family and his friends. Robin Dunbar, professor of anthropology at Oxford, um, has studied this phenomenon, and she has just said it flat out physically. She said, our brains cannot handle this amount of relationships. We just can't handle it. But so many of us and so many of your kids um, are exhaustively trying to maintain and keep up with literally hundreds and thousands of people, and all the while they know nobody well. That's the tragedy of all this. As they're spread out everywhere, they don't know anybody well. The latest statistics of this rising generation are saying on average, they would say, on average, they would say, I have two friends. Two friends that I feel like I can confide in. But a staggering 25%, one in every four teenagers, would say, I have no friends at all. How is that possible? You don't have any friends. You have a hundred friends on Facebook. How is this possible? Well, it's possible because Facebook and texting and tweeting are not friendship. They are fake. So we're killing ourselves trying to maintain all of these relationships and have no time or ability for real intimacy and deep community. And I don't even have time to go into the effects of the family and of the home here. You can imagine what this is doing to our families We were out at dinner a while back and I saw a girl on her PlayStation and a boy texting and a father on his BlackBerry and a lonely mom looking at them with a how-did-we-become-this-family look on her face. So, the second consequence I'm putting forward is that relationships are not only effortless, they're limitless. Um, Here's my third. Um, Relationships are becoming increasingly narcissistic. Um, Now, we have always been self-obsessed, We have always been self-assessed. Since the fall of man, this has been our biggest fundamental flaw. Um, We naturally have little concern for others or for God. We are concerned about ourselves. That's what we do as humans. We want the glory. We want our needs met. We are inclined to think that the world, naturally, the world revolves around me. But one of the beautiful common graces of relationships has always been their incredible ability to force us to reckon with the fact that there are other people in this world besides you. That's what relationships do. There are real people with real needs and through interacting with a diversity of individuals, we come to the sobering, yes, sobering, yet incredibly freeing realization that indeed it is not all about me. Well, now our online lives... Instead of that built-in, added common grace to wean us off of ourselves, our online lives reinforce the lie that it is indeed all about me. How so? Well, at this exact point in my preparation for this lecture, at this point... Got done writing that sentence, and I get a message from, from somebody saying, hey, you've got to check this out with a link to, to this deal. The link was to a YouTube video of a 13-year-old boy singing Lady Gaga song. Some of you don't know who Lady Gaga is, and you will just be fine remaining in your ignorance. Um, so, this kid, so this kid posted this YouTube video of himself singing this song at a middle school talent show. Now, I'll admit the kid had skills. But here's what's amazing. He posted the video two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. In that span of time, it had been viewed 8,615,000 times. Now think about the implications of that for a 13-year-old boy. Being viewed 8.6 million times. It used to be at a middle school performance, if you hit a home run, you get a good applause, a high five from the friend, maybe a hug from the cute girl, who knows, but that's about the extent of it. Now you do it and you're an instant celebrity, 8.6 million people watching you and your life. Of course, it's going to reinforce our already narcissistic tendencies. But even more so for our discussion, as we do relationships through the medium of social, of social media, it truly becomes veiled narcissism. That's what it is. In other words, we have invented a way to manipulate relationships into a means to self-serve our self-obsession. It goes like this. Facebook, MySpace, Twitter... These, these things, they, they become our personal audience, is what they are. Um, so all of these friends and followers, they're not real people and relationships. They are your spectators that you obsess over impressing. They are your audience and your life. We are witnessing what happens when people live life with an audience. And you see this, you watch kids when people are watching and you, know, personality, you, you, you come over to my house and and, and you, if you were to step in our house and Holt sees you, woo, instantly he has an audience. And it, all the tricks are coming out. You know, he's batting his eyes and spinning around and the always reliable, blowing the kiss to you and all that stuff. And he just, he's a different kid when people are watching. Kids are like that when they have an audience. Well, now our kids are growing up with a constant audience. They're constantly being watched. Everyone is being watched. And the tricks are coming out posting your best-looking pictures, your witty, interesting status updates, your Twitter updates from your life that makes you seem so important and significant. And all of it is just screaming, look at me, please look at me. You see, this is why it's so dangerous. Not only do we now have a built-in audience in our lives, it is a controlled audience. Meaning what? They only see what you want them to see. Your kids and, and on, 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 on the Facebook thing, they're only letting people see what they want them to see. Here's how it works. Your profile becomes your image. You put your best picture up. You put the best picture of your kids up, maybe. Your best quotes. You join the coolest groups. You're, you're doing, what you're doing here, you're crafting comments and status updates that are always worded perfectly and all that. You're crafting an image that you want people to think of you. You want people to believe that is who you are. But that's not you. It's not you. That's who you want you to be. That's not really you. There are never bad hair days on Facebook. There are never awkward moments. You never, get, you never get caught doing something stupid. Nobody ever sees the messiness of your life. You're just so smart. You're so funny. You're so good looking. Your family and your life are in perfect order. You're just so perfect. Broken humanity has always had this proclivity towards wearing masks and hiding. And social media has become our greatest hiding place. And then, of course, this leads into the obsession over whether anybody is, in fact, impressed by what they see. Obsession. I do mean obsession. This is why you, or you've probably seen in your kids, are checking their Facebook page 20, 50, 100 times a day. I'll tell you why they're doing it, and I'm telling you why you are doing it. It is to see if you are being noticed. Is anybody seeing me? Has anybody seen? Does somebody like my status? Has somebody commented on my photo? Does somebody want to be my friend? Does somebody want to chat? And so we increasingly relate through this medium of the Internet. Our only category of relationships and community has us at the center, And us alone. And the consequences of that are simple. This generation is now being labeled as the look at me generation, self obsessed, self consumed, listening to our iTunes on our iPods, talking on our iPhones, playing on their iPads, individualistic, narcissistic culture. And of course, as we love ourselves more and more, do you know who is not being loved? Other people and God. We just obsess over ourselves. Okay, so we have relationships that are easy, unlimited, narcissistic, and then voyeuristic. Um, online communities are an interesting thing because they are narcissistic, but at the same time, they're incredibly obsessed over other people. So you're in one way self-obsessed, and in the other way, other obsessed, but not in a good way. Um, so so here, here's how it works. Uh, the na- you know the natural tendency uh, to people watch with a critical eye? Um, or, or your love for a nice piece of juicy gossip, you know that, that, that tendency, or your coveting of other people's possessions in life, or your secret obsession over another, all of those tendencies have found an occasion for indulgence in social media. And you know how it works, those of you who are familiar with it, um, or perhaps you've seen your kids doing this. Um, just finding yourself lost in the world of other people. You are looking at pictures, lusting after their life and what they have, You're visiting the page of that person that you're secretly obsessing over. You make yourself feel better by critically looking at all these people who you're better than. Um, And eventually, hours later, you're looking at pictures and, and profiles of people you don't even know. You're just flat out being nosy. That's what you're doing. That's what your kids are doing. Gossip, coveting, jealousy, prying, meddling, knowing everyone's business, these things have always been a threat to relationships and community. And you know that. What are the consequences of forming communities that thrive exclusively on these principles? We are uniting around being nosy. We're just, all of us will open up our lives to everybody and let's just all look and get up at each other's business. That's what we're uniting around in social media. But it's worse. You do all of that in secrecy. So that your child can voyeuristically travel through lives of others, and they will never know. So, sadly, we are uniting around the very thing that destroys community and relationships. Um, So we find ourselves, your children find themselves living in a voyeuristic culture. Social media intrinsically operates on basically two principles, narcissism voyeurism. That's, that's how they work. In fact, the very survival of Facebook and MySpace depends upon these two fallen tendencies of humanity, which is, of course, why they're flourishing. Um, okay, so, so we have relationships that are effortless, limitless, narcissistic, voyeuristic. And then finally, because all of these reasons and many more, we have now relationships that are non-existent. The irony and the tragedy of social media, online forums, virtual living, of community done through the medium of the internet, is that though it promises to be a technological breakthrough that enhances relationships and community, it has become their greatest threat. It is the greatest threat to relationships and communities that we now see. If what I have said thus far is true, then we really may be in trouble. Think about the implications of the four points that I've put forward. True relationships necessarily require effort, but now we relate effortlessly by forsaking the demands of authentic relationships and community. True relationships necessarily require a focused attention and intimacy into limited lives, but now we are spread so thin by limitless friendships as everyone has access to us and and we know everyone, but we don't truly know anyone. True relationships necessarily requires being really known, truly known by others. Yet despite our narcissistic self-obsession, that way we relate, nobody truly knows you. They just know your image. And true relationships necessarily require knowing another person, knowing them well. Yet despite our voyeuristic obsession of other people's business, you don't really know anyone. Because you do it in secrecy and from afar without actually entering into their life and their story. In other words, if my observations are correct, then the fundamental requirements of relationships are being forsaken. So we must ask the question, have we therefore forsaken true relationship and true community in our culture altogether? Is it possible that we now live in a culture without relationships? Well, that is of course an overstatement. I'll admit that. It's an overstatement. But we are closer than than you might think. We really are. And I think we're getting closer by the day. We are so alone. Our youth, they are so alone. Connected to everybody in the world, yet disconnected in every way. Because here is the sad reality that everyone seems to be oblivious to. It's just become the air we breathe. It's just how we relate, and, and so we can't even see the irony of it all. He, here's the problem: we can't step outside of it and say, "What are we doing? This is all fake. This isn't real." Nobody seems to be saying that. This isn't real. That's not a real person. You're not looking into someone's eyes. You're looking at a computer screen. It's not talking. You're texting. That's not talking. This is all counterfeit. But nobody seems to notice, but they are feeling the effects. We are feeling the effects. What happens when human beings designed for relationships are being starved of intimacy? What happens? Well, we are seeing it in our youth, in this rising generation. This is the most lonely, depressed, dark, joyless angry cynical generation that i think we have ever seen and trust me i work with teens i work with teens many not a few many of them hate their lives they are so lonely we're not playing games with this stuff relationships are big You cannot deprive an image bearer of relationships. You can't deprive a human being of community and not expect dramatic negative consequences. In 2003 which is when the social media really began to swallow up our culture, there was an unprecedented spike in adolescent suicide like we have never seen before. In 2003, there's always been a steady increase, maybe a little decline, a little increase, a little decline. In 2003, suicides among those under the age of 20 grew by 18% in one year. And everybody was like, what in the world is going on? And it's been steadily increasing since then. Jeff Bridge, the principal um, investigator at the Research Institute of Nationwide Children's Hospital, said this: "We now have to consider the possibility that the increase—talking about the suicide rate—increase is an indicator of an emerging public health crisis." According to the studies, that what they're suspecting. This is—they're still studying this, but what they're suspecting is the number one influence is internet social networks. Kids don't have friends; they are all alone. Now, I don't mean to be an alarmist, but you really need to be alarmed, I think. You need to be aware of this. Our youth are suffering under the unbearable weight of loneliness. And they are so lonely because whether they realize it or not, they have no friends. They can't articulate it, but their soul can feel it. It's all counterfeit. It's all counterfeit counterfeit friends hanging out in counterfeit communities having counterfeit conversations and therefore experiencing nothing but cheap worthless counterfeit intimacy sadly relationships true relationships are becoming increasingly non-existent in our culture okay i'm done with evaluating things um where do we go from here um What can we do to renew relationships? That's a serious diagnosis and evaluation. I know that's heavy. What can we do to renew relationships in our land? Well, of course, it begins with you and your life and your family and your community. Let's be the one who does this rightly. Okay? Let's do this well. Um, So let me close by offering some suggestions that, that, like I said, each week, um, they're not going to be exhaustive. I can't do that. But perhaps they will be helpful in getting conversations going with you. Um, your friends, your, your your children, whatever, and helping you think through this issue. Um, now, my suggestions here are, are, are going to be very obvious, common sense stuff. I wish I could give you a more profound, creative advice here, but I truly think the obvious and most simple encouragement um, will be the most helpful. So my advice is twofold, and like I said, it's obvious. Um, here's, here's what I believe needs to happen in your life and in the life of your family and your kids. Um, I, I think there needs to be a lot less online relationships and there needs to be a lot more authentic relationships. Um, you need to restrict life in the online community, and you need to move towards life in the real community. Um, let me think, let's, let's think through each of those separately. There needs to be less, less online. You need to restrict the online stuff. Um, Here's what I mean. we get, we got to get this Internet thing under control. Is technology and Internet and social networking wrong? No, not intrinsically. Can it be used wrongly? Yes, 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 a thousand times yes, and usually it is being used wrongly. So the call is to reduce this thing down to its proper proportion. There is a way to use this stuff rightly, and there is a way to use it wrongly. And you are going to have to find that balance as parents, as young adults, and, 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 and as you parent your kids. Um, so, so maybe it'll help, help you do a practical example, get out of theoretical. Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about texting, okay? We'll use that as our example. Texting is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Beautiful. Um, if you have a quick message, point of information that you need to get out in an easy, efficient way, texting is perfect for that. That's what it's designed for. So, you know, the wife will shoot you a text, pick up milk on the way home. Got it. Great. Texting is great. Um, or if you're in a situation where you can't make a phone call, texting is great. I don't know, maybe you're listening to a sermon and um, you need to get word out, and so texting is... <laughs> Texting is great. Um, But texting is not meant to replace conversation. See, we're taking it off of its purpose. It's not meant to replace talking. So when it comes to texting, you have to ask yourself, am I using it rightly or has it become my means of communication? Am I having conversations via text messaging? This is how teens do it now. They try to talk to me through text. They try to talk through text. Now, when I first started doing youth ministry, I fell for it. They would text me, what's up? Nothing much. Cool. Did you need something? No, I just want to talk. Okay. And we talk. And I thought I was being like this cool, hip youth pastor conversing like this with them. And then I started realizing, I'm really hurting them here. This is not good. Um, I am enabling their relationship disabilities. So I changed things. I made the decision for a month to return every pointless text that I received, which is a lot, to return every pointless text that I received with an immediate phone call and force them to talk to a real person. I didn't care if I was in a meeting, if I was having dinner with Abby, if I was asleep. For a month, if I got a text saying, what's up, I would call them and answer. So they text, what's up? I'd call, they'd answer, nothing much. What is up with you? Why are you calling me? I don't know. You clearly, you wanted to talk. So, so let's talk. Texting is not talking. This is talking. So let's talk. How was your day today? Awkward silence. Uh, good. What did you do? Awkward silence. Uh, nothing. And I started realizing they don't know how to talk. They don't know how to talk. I mean, come on, you know. And, and you know, I, look, I'm not, I, I don't want to be the guy who says technology is bad and all that stuff, but it really is affecting how we do things. So, so I wasn't going to play their texting game any longer. I forced them to reduce their usage, at least when it came to me, to reduce their usage and use this appropriately. So that principle applied across the board. You can't spend your days on Facebook. You just can't. You can't. Your kids can't do that. You can't use it aimlessly and pointlessly. You can't obsess over your profile. You can't live life in online community. And you can't let your kids do that. It has to be under control. Control it in your life and control it in your kids' lives. So reduce this thing. Reduce it with real tangible guidelines in place that you can think through. Think through. Some, let me share some great ones that I've heard. Um, you know, I have one person who says, If I don't talk to somebody in six months, they're off the friend list. I don't need hundreds of friends that I never talked to on there filling my life with their distracting details. If I haven't talked to them in six months, they're gone. Clean up the list. Clean up your kids' friends list. That's, that's a good thing. Um, make it a rule that you will not view a profile of someone you don't know. You just Why am I looking at them? There's no reason to look at them. I don't know them. I'm not going to look at a profile of someone I don't know. Set a time limit. Somebody was telling me last week they, they had their kids. This is cool. They, they you know, get on there, and they, they set a timer, and when that timer goes off, you're done. You're not going to sit here all night long. We are, as a are going to say, this is probably appropriate time to be spending on this thing. When this timer goes off, I'm sorry. The computer is done. You, you, you think through things like this. As a family, as parents, make a commitment that you're just not going to have conversations through email and chat and texting. If you need to talk to somebody, you're going to call them. Whatever. You guys think through that. Or maybe God is calling you to quit. That, that is a real possibility. You're addicted You don't know how to relate to the real world. Your kids don't know how to relate to the real world. You're spending your days. Your kids are spending their days in counterfeit community. You are allowed to stop. You're allowed to do that. (laughs) Facebook is not necessary to healthy living. It's not a requirement to life. One time I was following uh, Coach Cal on Twitter. Pretty cool at first. He would send me out tweets about what he was doing with his day, eating breakfast at this or whatever. But after a while, it was driving me nuts it didn't help that half of his tweets are cheesy motivational blurbs that sound kind of like fortune cookies. But it, it just got it just got so obnoxious, so distracting, and I was just I, I was just like, I got too much going on in my life to be worrying about what you're doing, Coach Cal. You just win games, and our relationship will be fine. <laughs> so I quit. I just why am I doing this? This is stupid. I don't care what's going on in your life, John Calipari. So I quit. You can do that. Now, again, I say this every week. I'm not here to give you a formula. I want to begin conversations. You and your family need to have this discussion. Get this under control in your life. You can't just let this run wild and control you or your kids relationally. Okay? So have those conversations. The First advice is less online community. The second one, and more important one, is is intentionally pursue more real-life relationships and community. This is so significant. This is so important. Yes, we need to reduce. Yes, we need to think through those things. But technology is the way of the future. You know, at the end of the day, your kids are just going to have to be a part of this world, okay? And so this is something that you can't avoid. This is where we're going as a society. And to, to live in this world, you're going to have to make use of this stuff. So there's only so much you can reduce, especially looking towards the future. Okay, really easy way to combat that. Let's, let's do relationships. Let's do relationships. Let's do community. And, and this starts, you know, you can't assume community anymore. You have to create it. Um, there, there was a time, there was a time when I guess you could assume that. Real authentic life on life, dealing with people, community. But now you have to make that happen. Gone are the days when, when you as parents could just assume that your kids would naturally grow up learning to relate within community. Gone are the days when your kids would go out and play in the neighborhood all day and then they come back for dinner at dusk. Even at school, gone are the days when you could have seen that they're in community at school. A lot of them are just enduring until they can get home and get back on their computer in their counterfeit communities. It's just a different time. So you've got to create this. This begins, of course, at home. Slow down at home. Slow down and engage. Conversations around the dinner table, games and entertainment together, real thought-provoking questions and answers. It begins with how you lead your home. And don't tell me they don't want it. That's a lie. They want it. I did this series with our teens, and I'm telling you, I've never seen so much fruit from, from any of the series that I've done with our youth. Kids coming home and demanding that parents have family dinner nights. Kids coming home and, and, and saying, Dad, turning off the computer, I want to challenge you to this board game. Kids coming home and saying, Mom, I would like to start doing coffee before school. Kids coming home and writing letters. You know, pen, paper, stamp, writing letters. To real people, to loved ones, to friends. They want this. They don't like their lonely online lives. They want a home. They long for a home of engagement and intimacy. So it begins at the home. And then I'm gonna encourage you to spread that out. So it starts here at home, fostering a home like that. And then and then and then we spread it out to friendships. Get creative in fostering real friendships. They need your help. They need your help because, like I said, they're pretty ignorant here. They need your help in friendship, planning events, bringing them to things like our youth group, or or you becoming the home where kids hang out. And if they have too many activities and you feel like there's just no ability for them to even cultivate real friendship, consider cutting back. That's a whole other issue in and of itself. I could do a whole series on that. But a lot of kids these days don't have time to hang out and play. Their entire life is scheduled. They wake up, they go to bed, and they have activities non-stop. They can't play. And so, of course, they have to turn to the efficient and fast technology for their intimacy fix. Slow them down. Slow them down. Don't take friendships for granted. You have to lead them. You have to train them. You have to make them, help them maintain friends. Meet, make, and maintain friends. Okay, then it expands even further. So it starts at home, then then help them with their friendships. And you, young adults, cultivate friendships, all that. And then we're going to expand this out. Um, Kids, and and you... you, um, you need someone wiser than you to be in your life and life-on-life life stuff. We, we really mentioned this a lot last time, if you remember, where I talked about the importance of a mentor in our lives, someone wiser that you can sit at their feet and learn from. Um, so I'm not going to belabor this, but nothing could be more important in today's culture than for your kid to have a hero, for your kid to have someone that they just think is the coolest person and look up to, someone that will invest in their life beside you. Help them to pursue that. And I, of course, can help you with that if if you need me to. Um, So so cultivating a home and friendships and a mentor-discipleship relationship. And then I'm going to expand it out even further. And this is where I may scare you a bit. Um, It starts in the home. It expands to friends. It expands to mentor. And I'm going to encourage you to expand it out even further. Um, They need to, under your supervision and your protection and your guidance, they need to be exposed to people real people that are different than them and that are different than you. One of the faint things my parents did well is force us to engage with others, other people, and with the reality of this world. Do you want to know what my Christmas mornings were like as a child? Here's, here's Christmas mornings cutting a hole. We'd wake up, We'd get in the station wagon, we would drive downtown, we would fill our wagon up with the homeless, we would bring them back to our house, my parents would go into the kitchen to cook a warm breakfast for them and leave us to entertain the homeless of our community. That was my Christmas morning. Now, um, did I like that as a kid? No. <laughs> no. Um, there was this one guy every year who thought he was Jesus, so we had to sing happy birthday to him. Um, Laughter when I was in high school, when I was in high school, my dad took me out to Lakeside Golf Course, walked me into the maintenance barn full of these rough, rugged maintenance worker, and told the superintendent of the golf course, here's my son, he's going to work for you this summer, I want you to work him like a dog. And that's what I did. My summers of high school, I'd wake up five in the morning, um, go to the golf course and, and, and work all day mowing grass with these old blue-collar workers. Now, my role in that community was teenage slave. But I was a part of the community. And these guys loved me. And today, I can go over to Lakeside, and some of them are still there, and they'd see me, and they'd give me a big bear hug, and they loved me. Now, I know some of this scares a lot of you, and I'm not saying you have to be um, as extreme as my parents, but if if you allow them to play pretend community with with online friends and virtual friends and are never stretched, they're never expanded, Never placed in awkward situations. Um, you're hurting a child. You're hurting your child. Think through how it would look for you and your children. It may just start by having your neighbor over for dinner. You just have your neighbors over. That's what Christians do anyway, but, it, but it, just, it, it could be an added bonus of a teachable moment for your kids. Or maybe force them to volunteer somewhere. It used to be that volunteering was just kind of a part of the teenage life. Remember that? It's just what you did in the summer. You found something, you volunteer. You can restore that tradition. Um, what I'm trying to say is, however it looks for your family, as you as parents, get them outside of their relational comfort zone, is what I'm trying to say. Expand them. Force them into tough, difficult, awkward relationship experiences that are appropriate for them and their age level and their maturity. Now more than ever, children need to be stretched. Okay. Okay. Um, that's my basic common sense wisdom. It really is that simple. You and your kids need far less online life and far more real life. Reduce internet community and engage in more real life community. All right, let right, I'm done. Let me close with this thought. This is a brief thought. Um, here's the verse that kept coming to my mind in all of this um, preparation. It's from John 15. And Jesus says this to his disciples and he says this to you um, and to your kids. He says, no longer do I call you servants. I have called you friend. You are my friend. At the end of the day, this this social media epidemic is our culture's attempt, vain attempt, to numb out the loneliness that we all know is there in your life and in your kid's life. Oh, for our culture and for you and for your child, to know a gospel that says the God of the universe would like to call you His friend. For, for you to know that in a real way. All of you addicted to fake, pretend, online friendship. I wonder if the friendship of God might change things. I wonder if that would change your life and your soul. I wonder if it would lead to freedom. I wonder if the gospel story would be enough to free you and your child from their unsatisfied online lives. I think it might be the answer, the foundation that, that begins a movement in your life of real, authentic relationship, community, and intimacy. So, hear me, I'm done. All you lonely souls and all you parents of lonely souls who are feeling the effects of empty promises of counter, counterfeit friendship and community, the God of the universe knows your name. God knows you. He loves you. He died to call you his friend. So may the friendship of God be enough for you this evening. May the friendship of God lead to our freedom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, and we do thank you, Lord Jesus, that you call us by name, and you call us friend. And Lord, so many of us have made mistakes here, and so many of us as parents as I say a lot of this, feel like utter failures because their kid's so in deep and all this stuff, I pray that we would end there in grace and they'd know that okay, we can start having this conversation now and we can start repentance now and we can make changes now. Life doesn't have to be lived like this. Oh, may Tate's Creek shine in this city as a place of community. Lord, may we be the place where people know that they can find friends in real life-on-life community make that save in our lives, Lord. If it happens in our lives, it will happen in this church. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this series and all that you've done. I pray that the the effects of this would last um, even through eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you all so much for your attention during this series. It's been so encouraging for me. If you have any further questions about any of this stuff, um, I'm available um, at any time to, to talk through this stuff. Email me, whatever. Tweet, all that. See you guys.